0: Well good morning. He is risen. He is risen. Indeed. Amen. Amen. We're here today on Resurrection Sunday. We're here today for our sunrise service and I want to draw your attention to Luke's account and in a moment we'll read uh, the first 12 verses here in Luke chapter 24 as we see that Jesus is alive Luke chapter 24, the resurrection of Jesus was an event that was so significant that it not only changed the lives of those that were there in Jerusalem and around Jerusalem that day in the New Testament, but it's everything about us even today. When a person is saved, they acknowledge their need for a Savior, they acknowledge their own sin, they believe on Jesus Christ who paid the eternal price for all of their sin, Romans 10, 9 explains it this way. It says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It is the resurrection of Christ that makes our salvation possible. Christ's death and burial, as good and glorious as those two things are, don't do us enough to bring us that eternal salvation. But with Christ's resurrection... We have everything we will ever need. Christ walking out of that tomb on that third day gives us everything we needed to have victory over sin, victory over death. It is what makes new life in Christ possible. It is what makes new life in Christ eternal. We read in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, and if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain And your faith is also vain. Without Christ's resurrection, he says, we have no hope. Without Christ's resurrection, we might as well throw out this Bible and never preach another word for the rest of our lives. Without Christ's resurrection, we have no joy. We have no peace. We have no heaven. We have nothing. Paul says that our faith is vain without Christ's resurrection. Without the resurrection, we are just like everyone else in the world who is placing their faith in someone or something that cannot actually help them. We have no faith without the resurrection, and that is why it is so important. It is literally the bedrock upon everything that we stand. Paul spells it out in greater detail in 1 Corinthians 15 and verses 17 and 19. He says, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. If this life was all that there is, if this was the best that it ever would get, and there was no hope for us to ever know or even taste heaven at all, we would truly, he says, be completely, utterly miserable. If heaven was off the table not available to anyone, and all we could expect is eternal damnation in hell, which is what we deserve, we would be worse than miserable. But praise the Lord that that is not the case. Praise the Lord that when the women arrived at the tomb of Jesus early on the third day, not only was the stone rolled away, but the tomb was empty. And notice how Luke records it here in Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. It says, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, They came unto the sepulchre, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulchre. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and other women that were with them which told these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Then arose Peter and ran unto the sepulcher. And stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves and departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. He is alive. That was the breaking news there that glorious resurrection morning he is alive. It doesn't seem to be that significant of a statement, but when you consider how much that statement, those three words, he is alive, means to any hopeless sinner, it is the greatest news that any of us could have ever imagined. Put yourself in the shoes of those who would have been following Jesus throughout his entire public ministry as they watched Jesus breathe his last breath upon the cross. Watch him give up the ghost and hang there upon the cross completely lifeless. Many tears were shed. Many hearts just sank. Many fell into depression. Life couldn't have been any better for those that were closest to Jesus during the three years of his public ministry. How wonderful must it have been to be able to sit at the master's feet, to be able to sit and listen to him teach. How incredible must it have been to witness him uh, heal those who were sick, to see him give sight to the blind, to see him feed the hungry, to see him walk on water, to see him calm the storm, even raise the dead how remarkable must it have been to watch jesus baffle and just confound the pharisees who often took up stones to kill him those closest to jesus witnessed him escape death on numerous occasions not to mention they uh, not to mention raised those who had died jesus had shown himself wiser than anyone else that had ever lived and more capable than anyone had ever imagined In the eyes of many that were close to him, he was invincible. On numerous occasions, people picked up stones to try and put him to death. And the Bible tells us in one occasion, in John chapter 8 at the end, that he hid himself and passed through the midst of those who were ready to kill him completely unnoticed. They watched him basically defy the laws of nature because there are no laws of nature. There are only laws of God that he commands. What else should they expect? They knew him to be the Son of God, and yet when Jesus was arrested, when he went through illegal trials and he was delivered up to be crucified, they were probably thinking, you know, this is just like any other occasion when he escaped death. At any moment, he is going to escape their hands, get away from the captives, and come off of that cross. But every heart sank in despair as he was crucified. Fearing that the journey had now come to an end, Jesus' time in the spotlight was fading, with the final moment being him giving up the ghost upon Calvary's cross. Despite the fact that Jesus had often spoken of laying down his life, even the angels remind them. There in verse number seven of Luke 24 is saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. He says, He's spoken this to you on numerous occasions. And it says in verse eight, And they remembered his words. They remembered his words, but not until after they had to be reminded of these words. But in the moments after Christ died, every heart was full of grief and depression. Even though Christ had spoken of this, there was a sense of finality in the minds of those that were closest to him as they watched his lifeless body come down from that cross and then be placed in the tomb. It was a gut-wrenching day. For the followers of Christ. It was a day of celebration for all the opponents of Christ. But the story was far from over. The followers of Christ had no clue what to think. Their lives had just been turned upside down. What they thought was going to be another wonderful encounter where Jesus was going to escape the jaws of defeat. They watched him die and thought that all their joy and excitement was gone as well. Many of them had given everything up to follow after Christ. They couldn't imagine going back to the old life that they lived before, following Christ for the past three years. And in the the midst of the darkness, they were searching for answers. They were searching for some sort of hope. And when they thought that it had all been in vain, they received the greatest news man had ever heard. He is alive. As we take a look at Christ's resurrection this morning, I pray that we can grasp its significance and allow it to change us. We read in Philippians 3.10, it says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I pray that we get a better sense of who he is and a better sense of the power of his resurrection today. I want you to notice, first of all, Now, Jesus received a dignified burial. Jesus received a dignified burial. It is no secret that Jesus was charged as a criminal. In Isaiah 53, hundreds of years before Christ ever even was born and came to the cross and was buried in the tomb and rose from the grave, the prophet spoke. He said he was numbered with the transgressors. He was innocent of all charges. He was completely free from sin, but he was punished to the fullest extent of the worst and most severe criminals. Although his death on the cross was a criminal's death, his burial was quite different. You see, when common criminals died or were even crucified there at the time of the New Testament, they weren't buried in a tomb like Jesus was buried. Jesus, or just outside of Jerusalem, there was a place devoted for burning waste, a place That was called Gehenna. It was a place where the bodies of criminals were just thrown. They were discarded and burned into the smoldering refuse of this dump. Crucifixions were one of the most humiliating ways for a person to be killed, and the thought was that the criminal deserved no dignity in death, so they would shamefully be paraded openly upon a cross, and even after they were dead and declared to be dead, there was still no, no dignity within them, and they would just throw the body and the unburied corpse into this place of refu- refuse and just allow it to burn. And an unburied corpse was just another way to publicly disgrace the individual. It was viewed as a sign of judgment from God, that they didn't deserve anything better. Under normal circumstances, Jesus' body should have suffered this fate based on the fact that he was numbered among the transgressors, that he died the death of a criminal. This is what should have happened to his body. But notice what we read in Psalm 16 and verse number 10. Psalm 16, verse 10, the Bible says, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. But how was Christ to fulfill this prophecy if he was now dead? If he breathed his last breath upon the cross, how was he supposed to control what was going to happen to his body? How was he supposed to prevent his body from being thrown into this place of refuse and just be burned? Fortunately, God had two disciples, high-ranking disciples in the Jewish Sanhedrin, working together, men of influence who could get things done. And notice what we read in John 19, in verses 38 through 42. John 19, 38 to 42, the Bible says, And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, Besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus, and there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulchre wherein was never a man yet laid. There laid they Jesus therefore because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulchre was nigh at hand. You see, God would see to it that his only begotten son would have a decent burial and not see corruption. Christ's burial is a crucial part of the gospel message. Paul mentions it as part of the gospel in, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. He mentions that according to the scriptures, Jesus Christ must die, must be buried, and must rise again. Now, maybe a brief part, the burial of Christ may be such a brief part in the whole picture of the gospel, but it proves that Christ actually died. Before anyone came down from the cross, the Romans would make sure that anyone that was upon the cross was actually dead before they were taken down. If the individual was still clinging to life, the soldiers would speed the process up by breaking the legs or even piercing their side with a spear. Either way, they made sure that the individuals were dead before they came off the cross. And we see this happen in John 19, verses 32 to 34. It says, Then came the soldiers and broke the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. This was done before Jesus' body could be handed over to Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. The two men proceeded to take the body of Jesus, to wrap it in the grave clothes, anointing his body with, it says, a hundred pounds of myrrh and aloes and spices all these they had brought with him, and they laid the body of Christ in the garden tomb, covering the entrance of the tomb with a massive stone. Nicodemus appears three times in the Gospel of John. He first appears in John chapter 3. He comes to Jesus by night. Then he defended Jesus in John chapter 7 among the Pharisees who were ready to put Jesus to death. And then he appears there in John chapter 19 where he shows up with Joseph of Arimathea to tend to the body of Christ. He came to Jesus by night in John chapter 3 because he couldn't risk being seen publicly with someone like Jesus who was disliked by all of his colleagues, by all of his fellow Pharisees, but now he arrives on the scene with Joseph of Arimathea in broad daylight. This is only speculation, but I believe that Joseph and Nicodemus had long been meeting together to study the scriptures and concluded that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the Son of God, that was spoken of in the Old Testament. And by agreeing to handle the dead body of Jesus, which would have made them defiled and unclean, especially at a time which was the Passover, which you need to be ceremonially clean to participate in, they knew they were ceremonially defiling themselves and excluded themselves from participating in the Passover feast, which was a huge deal because it's only happened once a year. And I believe they did this proudly. I believe they proudly relinquished their opportunity to participate in the Passover, to have the opportunity to anoint the body of Jesus, to give him a proper burial. And I believe they proudly dismissed the opportunity to celebrate the Passover because they realized they found and believed in the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. What did they care about a religious observance When they had the opportunity to tend to the body of the one who was to be their savior. I believe that Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea learned that Jesus would be rejected. That he would be crucified at Passover. And God moved them to do everything they could to protect the body of Jesus from ever seeing corruption like a common criminal. I believe that they began preparing the tomb long before Jesus even breathed his last breath upon the cross. The faithfulness of these two men led them to help keep the message of the gospel pure. God used them to keep his only begotten son from seeing corruption. And the words of 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 and 4 are true where it says how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Jesus received a dignified burial. But notice second that Jesus arose in victory. Jesus arose in victory. In the early stages of Christ's public ministry, after he cleansed the temple, Jesus was challenged on what authority he had to do such a thing, to come into the temple and to throw out all the money changers and all those who sold oxen and doves and to dis- just dismantle all the marketplace that had been set up there in his father's house. And he said this in John 2, verse 19. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Now, this was the first time that Jesus spoke of his death and resurrection. Later on in Matthew 16, Peter would declare his faith in Jesus as the Son of God, and Jesus would begin teaching the disciples that he'd be crucified, that he'd be buried, and that, from, that he would rise from the grave on the third day. In the following chapter, in Matthew 17, following Jesus' transfiguration, Jesus would tell the disciples again that he was to die, that he would rise again on the third day. Several chapters later, in Matthew chapter 20, As Jesus was approaching Jerusalem, he told his disciples that this was going to happen again, that he would first be betrayed, that he would be crucified, that he would rise again on the third day. It wasn't as if no one had been told that all this was going to happen. The disciples had been told numerous times that Jesus would be crucified, that he'd be buried, and on three days later, he would rise from the grave. Had they taken his words to heart, they wouldn't have been so depressed and so confused when they watched Jesus upon the cross breathe his last breath. They would have understood that this is all part of God's plan, that they're going to watch his body be taken off, that they're going to see him being buried in a tomb, and that three days later they're going to know somehow, just as he said, he's going to rise from that grave. The sad part is that those that were closest to Jesus didn't remember his words. They had to be reminded as we see here in verse number eight of Luke 24, it says, and they remembered his words, but not until the angels reminded them. The sad part is that those closest to Jesus didn't remember his words, but the enemies of Jesus remembered his words. Listen to what we're told in Matthew 27 and verses 62 to 64. It says, now the next day, that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead, so the last error shall be worse than the first." The enemies remembered and they prepared for it, even though they were doubting that it could actually happen. They were convinced that the disciples would steal away the body of Jesus, but even still, they remembered Jesus had spoken of this. In many ways, the death and burial of Christ looked like defeat. But the resurrection of Christ proved that it was Christ's greatest victory. Jesus went from apparent weakness to absolute power, from humiliation to incredible glory. In the resurrection of Jesus, he won a decisive victory over the world, over the flesh, and over the devil. Jesus has destroyed the power of death, and he has brought everlasting life to everyone that believes on him. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 10, the Bible tells us, it says, But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Jesus' resurrection made it so that death no longer reigns in our lives. Sin no longer has dominion over us when we are in Christ. And 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 57, it rejoices in this truth. It says, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we have peace, we have hope, we have victory, we have faith in him because he conquered sin and death on our behalf. Peter preached about the victory and we have in Christ's resurrection on the day of Pentecost. In Acts, chapter 20, or in Acts chapter 2, and verses 22 to 24, it says, You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. Him, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, Because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Jesus, it says, loosed the pains of death. He destroyed sin and death because death could not contain him. It was impossible that it would keep him down. And notice third, that Jesus had an active ministry. Jesus had an active ministry. After Christ's resurrection, Jesus didn't need some time to rest and recover. Jesus didn't check himself into a wellness facility where he would spend some time recuperating from all that he just went through. And listen to what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15 and verses four through eight. It says, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the 12. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. One after another, the Apostle Paul says, he was seen by this person, and then this person, and then this whole group of people here, and then another group of people here, and then finally he was seen by me. Once Christ rose from the dead, he was so busy He was busy ministering to all those followers that he were grieving, thinking that the last time they saw him was upon that cross. He was ministering to them, showing them that he is indeed alive. Everyone knew that Jesus was crucified, that he was buried, and now rumors were spreading that Jesus had risen from the grave and those rumors had to be confirmed so that people might truly believe on him. I know we're looking in Luke, but turn with me to John chapter 20 for a moment. Here in John chapter 20, we read John's account of the resurrection. When Mary Magdalene first came upon the empty tomb, she ran to tell the disciples, thinking that someone had stolen away the body of Jesus. Peter and John ran to see the tomb for themselves. And look at what we're told in John 20, verses 4 through 9. John 20, verses 4 through 9 says, So they ran both together. And the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and see it, the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. And then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. They came and saw the empty tomb, Peter and John did. But based on verse 9, verse 9 says, For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead, they still weren't convinced that Jesus had risen from the grave. It's one thing to have some evidence, but it's entirely different to see the risen Christ for yourself. Peter and John may have returned home, but Mary, we're told, lingered in that garden. And listen to what the next seven or eight verses say, verses 11 down through verse 18. It says, But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord." She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. When Mary first saw the empty tomb. She was convinced that someone had taken away the body of Christ. She was confused until Jesus spoke her name, and immediately she recognizes him. Immediately she turns her confusion into a certainty. We may know all the theological arguments proving that the resurrection of Christ was true, but nothing takes the place of personally experiencing and believing on Jesus Christ for yourself. When it came to meeting the disciples, Jesus would settle all of their thoughts as well. And notice what we read in continuing in John 19 and verse, or John 20 rather, uh, and in verse 19, down to verse 23. It says, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, When the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost." Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. Jesus, we're told here, came into this room when the doors were all shut. He passed through a closed door to meet with his disciples who were troubled, who were fearful about what was about to happen to them, thinking that Christ was now gone. They were now on, all of them, were now on Jerusalem's most wanted list, especially with the body of Christ gone from the tomb. They were public enemies, number one. They were the ones who were going to be thought of as the ones who would have stolen away the body of Christ. This is when Jesus showed up and calmed their fears and showed them that he is not dead, that his body is not going to be found anywhere because he has it. He is alive. It was truly a dramatic appearance of Christ as you consider the circumstances and even the manner in which Christ appeared to them. Jesus was proving to his disciples that all the previous teachings that he had on the crucifixion and the burial and the resurrection were all true so that the disciples might be able to go forth and tell the entire world that of the victory they may have over sin and death through the power of Jesus Christ. Despite this, we read in, in Matthew 11 through 15 about the plan Matthew 28, 11 through 15, about the plan the Jews hatched up to convince the world otherwise, though. And notice what it says. It says, Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. So the Jews made sure that no matter what Christ was actually doing, they were going to make sure that the rumors that were spreading were that the disciples came and stole away the body of Jesus. And they paid the guards a handsome amount to tell the story. Most likely, Saul believed this, that Jesus' body was stolen away, that he did not actually rise from the grave. Most likely, he believed this until the resurrected Christ met him face to face on the road to Damascus, and he changed from being Saul to the Apostle Paul, the servant of Christ. The truth that Jesus is alive and is active in ministry even today. In some of the final words that he spoke, Jesus declared in Matthew 28, verse 20, he says, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Jesus gave us the abiding Holy Spirit as a confirmation of his promise to always be with us. The Holy Spirit is with believers every moment of their lives, from the very moment they're saved until the very moment that they are received into the glories of heaven. And if we're filled with the Spirit, and if we're walking in the Spirit, we will be faithful and fruitful to bring glory to God. We refer to Sunday as the Lord's Day. And it is. Absolutely it is the Lord's Day. But we need to realize that every day is the Lord's Day if Jesus Christ is our Lord. As believers, we have no reason to fear challenges or burdens or even spiritual battles because in Christ we are victorious. Romans 8 tells us that we are more than conquerors through him who loves us and has given himself for us. Death has no more power over us. Sin has no more dominion over us for we are no longer under sin, but we are under the grace of God. Jesus was active. Following his resurrection, Jesus is still active today, calling all men through the preaching of the gospel to come to him in faith. Christ desires that all men everywhere would turn to him and receive the everlasting joys that come through faith in him. God would have all men to be saved, and he has done everything necessary for that to be possible. Thanks to Jesus Christ who died, was buried, and rose again, offering the hope of heaven for all who believe on him as their Savior. I want you to notice, lastly, Jesus' message to us. What is Christ's message to us? Listen to what we read in Matthew 28, verses 5 through 7. Matthew 28, verses 5 through 7. It says, And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly, and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. Two instructions are given. The angel, as he's speaking to the women, gives two instructions, really given by God, delivered through these angels. Come and see, he says, and go quickly and tell. Christ's message to us is still the same today. Come and see. Come and see that the tomb is empty. Come and see that Jesus is everything that you need him to be. Come and see that he is the savior that you needed because of your sin. Come and see that salvation is only possible through faith in him. And after having received all that Jesus offers, the message is then to go and to tell. Go and to tell all those that God has put in your life. Accept the gift of grace by believing on him as your Savior. Embrace the new life in him by serving him and telling others about the joy you have because of what Christ has done for you. The message is the same. The angel gave it there and said to the women again, come see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples. The message of the angel is clear. Come and see that Jesus is alive. Come and see that Jesus is our salvation. Come and see that Jesus is our eternal joy and our eternal peace. Come and see that your life will never be complete apart from Christ. And believe on him. And when you do, go and tell others. Go and tell others about Jesus. Tell others about what he has personally done for you. Go and tell others how Jesus has changed your life personally from the wretched, hopeless, vile sinner that you once were into the child of God who now is experiencing everlasting joys and peace through Jesus Christ. All because you've been transformed by the miracle working power of Jesus. Live your life with eternal hope, Because of who Jesus is to you. And may others see it. And may others be drawn to him through your witness and to your testimony. Come and see and go and tell. Let's bow in prayer this morning. Lord, we're thankful for the message that was delivered, Lord, to the women there that morning. A very simple message, but incredibly powerful. Come and see that the tomb is empty. Come and see that Jesus is alive. Come and see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. Lord, there is no greater news than to know that we serve a risen Savior. And Lord, I pray that as we have come to Jesus ourselves, receive the wonderful gift of grace and salvation through faith in him, Lord, that we would go and quickly tell others that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and offer salvation so free to all who believe on him. Thank you for all that you've done for us. And may our witness and our testimony prove to be a bright and shining light to those that are living in darkness in this world. In Christ's name we pray, amen.